Welcome to the Real Self University podcast. I'm Eva Shea, your host and director of practice development at Real Self. In a practice marketing plan, it's email marketing that is often forgotten or neglected. But email marketing over time is a marketing strategy with the potential to build and grow your own audience into the strongest channel you have. And what's better is that you own that audience, which makes it simultaneously more affordable and more valuable over time. Today, I'm talking with my friend and fellow marketer, Drew Leahy, who in his career has worked with over 100 practices, but for the last two years, Drew has been heads down figuring out exactly how to have an impact on practice marketing with email that doesn't fit the usual mold. Today on the Real Self University podcast, my guest is my good friend, Drew Leahy, who is an incredible aesthetic marketer. He's one of those secret weapons out there that if you've had the chance to work with him or run into him or learn from him, you already know how great he is. And for those of you who don't know, you're going to find out today. So welcome, Drew. Just give us a little bit about yourself, your background, how long you've been doing this and some of your war stories. Yes. Cool. Thanks for having me, first of all. And and thanks for those kind words. Yeah, we, I've had the privilege of knowing you for quite some years now. And I'm glad we're at a point where we can talk some marketing to get together on this podcast. So a little bit about myself. So I come from the agency world. I was director of marketing and business development in the agency world for close to six years. I've been in aesthetic medicine for just about seven years, going on eight years. For the last two years, I've been doing my own thing, just primarily consulting and really working marketing strategy at the business level with a lot of practices. So actually for the last two years, I've, I've primarily been launching new practices. So going through the strategic process at the business level. So not not really diving too much into the tactical stuff like I did at the agency side, but more about positioning and messaging and targeting and you know even things like naming the practice and doing all the visual brand identity and then launching the practice, put, putting together an, an entry strategy for them. So I've been doing most of that for the last two years. And then recently, so I've, I've wound down that whole consultancy. And currently for like the last three months, I've been building out, which is going to be my baby business moving forward and the only business that I have. And it's called Patient Nectar. And Patient Nectar isn't a marketing agency. It's a content studio. So we just produce content. And I guess our mission is to really help give practices the quality, the volume, the speed, and really the consistency that they need without paying millions of dollars for high quality content so that their marketing actually works and is, is sustainable. Because when it comes to, you know, with the agency business model, the agency is not built to produce high quality content at scale with speed. It's just cost prohibitive for them. They can't make money on it. So Patient Nectar is really a pivot in the business model. So it's a different type of business model. We're operating like a publisher. We're working with producers, directors, uh, you know, real subject matter experts who can also write, not just kind of college grad writers. And we're going to produce high quality content and give it to you at a cost that you can afford. So that marketing is sustainable for you. Because right now in this industry, I think a lot of the practices listening right now most of you will know that you've worked with one agency, then you go on to the next and on to the next. And then over the course of five, 10 years, you've worked with 10 different agencies and, and nothing seems to work. And I, I think a lot of that has to do with the agency's inability to, to produce this content at quality with speed and consistency for you. So we're trying to fill those critical gaps so that marketing works. And that's what, what I've been working on. <laughs> you're you're on to something there because 
writing is always the thing that is the hardest part of building a new website or doing a campaign or trying to get anything done. So either the doctor ends up doing the writing or the editing themselves or someone on the staff does and everybody gets to the end and nobody's happy. Mm-hmm. And I, so I think you're in a really good sweet spot there. So can you, cool. will your company write procedure content for websites? What, what's the spectrum that you're going to cover? Yeah. So you can visit the website and kind of see the products that we're launching, the digital product. So as far as content that goes on the, on the website, as far as like procedure pages or like blog posts, you know, the model doesn't really let us create that kind of content because what we're doing is the way we're able to invest so much money in high quality content and sell it to the practices is that we're selling some of this content to more than one person, right? There's strict market ex- exclusivity. It's licensing content. And we're only selling limited numbers of these content assets. So there'll always be a competitive advantage. But for some things, it just doesn't make sense for us to do. But the things that we are going to do is the first products that we're launching are called email serials. And email serials are essentially like your aesthetic practices own publication, your own health and beauty publication. So the way I like to talk about it or the metaphor I use is it's really like a magazine. So you know, in today's day and age, everybody always tells you, and, and this is true, like from a content perspective, you need to market like a publisher, but it's really expensive to do that. So with the email serials, we're, we're literally what we're going to do is you can buy a serial, which is targeted towards a specific type of patient demographic or segment or product segment. So actually, let me just give you an example. So like the first one, one of the big ones is called aging with attitude. And this content is delivered exclusively through email. You can buy Aging with Attitude. It's going to come with all the content you need up front for the entire year. So you have all that volume and all that speed ready and and all that consistency to build an audience. And all the educational content within this serial is geared towards helping people who are 40 to 70, women who are 40 to 70. So yeah, those are the first products we're we're creating. And, And the goal of that is to help practices build their own audiences. So a lot of doctors have done a great job of bringing things in-house and then building audiences on, you know, primarily Instagram, which is awesome, right? And and there there's a lot of positive business effects from that. If you talk to like the big wigs like Dr. Sheila Nazarian or Beauty by Cat or Dr. Subio, like some of these really big time Instagram that have follower bases there, they're seeing real business impact from that. However, it's Instagram, it's owned by Facebook. And eventually, Instagram's going to throttle their reach. So all that money and all that time and all that investment they put into building that audience is going to continue to dwindle and dwindle and dwindle. And they're going to have to pay more and publish more just to maintain, not, not, not even grow their audience, just to maintain engagement with the audience they already have. And it's only going to get worse. So with the email serials that we're creating is we're going to give those people and every other practice the opportunity to build an audience of targeted patients through email where Instagram and Facebook, there's no middleman. No one in email can charge you to get in front of your patients, right? It's a direct line of communication and it's free. And building an audience is the cornerstone of digital marketing. Like, So many of these practices and these practice owners listening right now, if they're working with agencies, most of them are probably buying content marketing or being sold content marketing. The only problem is it's not content marketing because the cornerstone of content marketing is about building an audience of subscribers, right? And none of that is included in that service. Just a lot of these agencies are putting this label of content marketing because it's trendy, it's hot, it's a buzzword. And you know, there's so much misinformation in the sales process and the doctors are buying it. But 
So what we're trying to do with the email serials is really help you build your own audience and not have to pay a ton of money to do it. So those are the first products. Some other products that we're going to launch later when we get some cash flow because we are just bootstrapping this, but we're going to do what are called targets. So we'll have full marketing creative from websites to social ads, video ads, all the creative you need to go attack a specific niche or subspecialty or patient segment where you can just come to the website and buy a bundle of all that content. And now you can go attack that market. You don't have to build a website for six months. You don't have to strategize all the content. It's going to be done for you. So those are big ones. And then one of the really cool things that I'm super excited to start building is we're... So one of my gripes with the media in this industry and how we market it, and especially on the website, is the photos we use and the stock photography, right? So Ooh, it's awful. Now. Yeah, right? <laughs> so so when you, it, it's, it's funny. Like when you get to, say, a plastic surgeon's website and you look at their before and after gallery and you look at the patients they're actually serving and then you go like the stock photography on the page and they look nothing alike. So what we're doing is we're going to build a free and I'm calling it an unstock library of content. So this is unstock photos. So we're actually going to work with real patients. We're going to work with a diverse and inclusive group of people because right now, if you look on the website, not only are they stock photography, but they're just brunette and blonde women who are skinny and they got Photoshop and it, it's just not a real realistic representation. So you know what I say when I land on a 90% of websites, I land and I say, looks like a bunch of dudes built it. Yep. Because yep. <laughs> all of all of the images look like they're one step above soft porn. Yeah. And it, for me as a female, especially in the middle of the target demographic, I find it extremely offensive and insensitive yep. that everyone thinks that that's the ideal. And it, it, yeah. it really is an outdated way of thinking about aesthetic marketing at this point. A hundred percent. And and you know that mindset comes from, you know, people thought at one point that okay, if we can create these beautiful, if we can use imagery of like these beautiful, perfect people that like people who come to our website are going to aspire to be that. And that will encourage them to get these treatments because they'll look like that. Turns out, like you said, and there's, there's research behind this, that people who are coming to plastic surgeons or aesthetic practice websites, and they see these photos, it's actually making them more insecure. It's, it's scaring them. And it's, it's just creating unrealistic expectations from the beginning. You know, my favorite one is like, if you go to just go to a, a facelift page on any one of the plastic surgeons websites, and you get like a, you know, a 35 year old girl who's like skinny and, and beautiful with perfect skin, like what 35 year old girl with beautiful skin is getting a facelift? No one. <laughs> it's actually, so, when, and men aren't immune because if you look for a, uh, aesthetic stock photography for men, it's always like salt and pepper haired, full, full head of hair, silver fox guy. Yeah. And that's not realistic either. Yeah. And even, even the women, even the older women, it's all like the, the beautiful looking silver fox woman as well. Yeah. Like it's, just, it's just not an accurate representation of what, what the market actually looks like. So we're, we're going to build out a free, and this will be free forever. We're going to build out a unstock library of photos to help change this, right? So, so I'm really excited about that. And then we'll have some other stuff down in the pipeline too. One, one of the other products we're creating are, they're called boosters. So they're for social media. So we're putting together bundles of like 200, 300 social media videos that a doctor can come and buy and get all of those videos up front to help them take advantage of those ephemeral. So think about Instagram stories, right? That's ephemeral content. It disappears in a day. So most doctors can't really take advantage of that because they don't have the resources or the money to put content into that. That's going to disappear in a day. 
So these bundles that we're creating are going to be specifically for things like Instagram stories where you can, for a low cost, you can get all the Instagram stories you want to, to leverage Instagram stories for once. So those are called boosters. It's not designed to replace. Actually, all the content we're creating isn't designed to replace your marketing agency. It's not designed to be a one-size-fits-all thing for anybody, but it's designed to give you that supplemental content so that you can scale your marketing and be more effective. To me, it sounds like you're hitting the majority of the marketplace too, where there's somebody in-house whose job is partially marketing, not 100%, and there's an agency, and those two groups have to work together, but the person in-house is at a distinct disadvantage because they're supposed to be coming up with all of these things that you're describing, and you're making that person's job very, very easy. 100%. You know, right now, that it's growing dramatically, but that, that group of practices who are bringing things in-house, like I said, it's, it's growing dramatically, but it's still not huge. But for those people, this is the solution, right? Because how are you going to get that one person who's wearing multiple hats, maybe it's a marketing director in-house, how is that person going to produce this content? They're not. It's impossible, right? So for, for this website, this is so perfect for them because they can go buy that supplemental content, make it their own, and then have a chance, right? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah. I'm I'm excited about it. And it, and you know it's all it's all going to grow as we get started. You know the reason why I started this was, you know, it goes back to the the limitations of the agency model. The agencies have to scale clients and they have to be systemized and one size fits all for them to make money because a lot of doctors don't realize that a lot of these marketing agencies don't make a lot of money per client. So it's incumbent upon the agency to really scale clients and be operationally efficient, which also means that your account manager to client ratio is disproportionately high. So you're not getting a whole lot of attention. But when it comes to content, content doesn't scale profitably for these agencies. That's why they can't produce it. So we're hoping to fill those gaps. Almost no part of it scales. And so if you're the agency owner, you either go the let's get a whole bunch of clients route, or you have to say to yourselves, which I I only can think of one who does this, we're going to be small and we're going to be happy being small and we're not going to try to grow huge and get all the clients in America and then burn out and lose all the clients and right. then try, try to survive. Like I've seen this trajectory right. more times than I care to even admit. And yeah. I, li- I lived it and you lived it and that's yep. why we, we know that it doesn't work. Yeah. So what you're hitting on there is, so there, there really is two types of agencies. There's the productized agency and there's the customized agency, which is like the boutique agency. So, and it's important for doctors to know this because a lot of doctors and physicians or aesthetic owners don't realize like the limitations of each models or the trade-offs. So if you're working with a productized agency, which most of you probably will in this industry, the, the trade-off is that the, they're going to lower prices for you, but you're getting a one-size-fits-all approach. And like you just mentioned about those other agencies, which are few and far between, I, I don't even know anybody. You said you know one, but I don't know any of them. Those are the boutique customized agencies where they're not trying to scale clients to 200 because they don't need to, but they're going to charge you more. And the way they make their money is that they they get each client to pay more and more. And that's how they make their revenue. However, you're going to get better results. But the problem in this industry really comes down to small budget marketing. Like any way you slice it, and you know, there's probably a lot of doctors or practices listening to this going like, small budget, are you kidding me? Like I'm spending $60,000 on digital marketing. 
sounds like a lot and I get it. I'm a small business owner as well. And it is a lot. But when you talk about the, the, the content demands and trying to do like full service marketing, it's not enough. It just isn't, right? So, so what happens is, you know, you just start spreading yourself too thin and nothing gets done. Yeah. The alternative method to spending a bunch of money is doing a bunch of work yourself. Mm-hmm. And so there, there is a route to do it that way. And it, it comes down to two things. It comes down to prioritizing photos and prioritizing reviews. Mm-hmm. But that can only get you so far. But if you're small and you're, or you're cash strapped or you're, you're struggling, you can really put your head down and focus on those two things and get pretty far. But then yes, commu- communicating and building your audience, that doesn't cost any money either. So if you're growing your database as you are growing your business, you're setting yourself up for the future, which is where this yes. work that you're doing comes in. Yes. Okay, so let's let's go backwards for a minute. Yeah. Is there anything from your past or from your early career that drove you to this place? Like, is there a specific incident or experience or was it more like... yeah. Absolutely. So I, you know, it's funny. Like I, I, I refer to myself as like a, a, a short-term cynic, but I'm a, I'm a, a long-term optimist. <laughs> so I try not to be jaded, but you know, for the years that I worked in the agency model and for the, the agencies I've worked for and consulted with, like I just am jaded because for the most part, and I know a lot of these agency owners and I have good relationships with a lot of them in this industry. And most of them are really good people trying to do really good things. But man, they're the hucksters. And, and every, every industry has this. There's hucksters and charlatans everywhere and they're taking advantage of people. So my experience with kind of that agency world and dealing with both sides of like dealing with good people, trying to do good things and then dealing with like the hucksters as well. Number one, I was like, I, I just don't want to do the agency thing anymore. Like I don't want to be grouped in with the hucksters and the charlatans because at this point in, the, in this industry, I think most doctors and practices who have recycled through... In, like if you've been in practice for 10 years, you've probably worked with eight marketing agencies, right? So I'm like, you know what? My next project here, I'm not even going to get... I don't even want to be lumped in with the people. Even though there's good good people, like the the belief from the industry and the doctors and the clients is like, hey, like these agencies are out here to screw us. So... So that that was a big part of me. But you know, we've been talking about the limitations of like the productized agency and dealing with that for so long and trying so hard. You know, I've worked in agencies where I was working on product marketing and developing services to try to to deliver better results. But it's really hard to do when you have small budget clients. Like one of the things too that a lot of the agencies will market themselves on is saying, like, hey we're current, we stay up to date, yada, yada, yada. Our services are always current and up with the trends. But here's the thing. When you have an agency that has 50 to 70 employees, 200 to 250 clients, which which, there's a good amount of those in this industry. Do you know how hard it is to steer that ship that's moving that fast and take, you know, even if marketing changes and the agency tells you that, hey, we're staying on top of changes. Do you know how hard it is for that agency to now go systematize that into a service and then roll that out to 200 clients and make money on it? It's really difficult. So even though the agency may be telling you that, yeah, we're up to date and we know all this stuff and, and they probably do like on an individual basis, 
as far as the service goes, that's not, that's not making it into the service because it's really hard to do that. So usually, in my experience, what I've noticed and from the agencies I've worked at, even though we're up to date, the agency, like the service we're delivering to the clients is usually three or four years behind. And they don't want to tell you that, but that's the truth. So I guess really just working in the agency and seeing how many limitations there were to the agency and, 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 and really the limitations come from how marketing has changed so much. And it goes back to why I created Patient Nectar was because the demands for content, to, you, you know, you need volume, you, you need scale, you need consistency and you need speed and it's all really expensive. And those are things that can't be produced with the agency. It's just not equitable for them, right? So that whole experience there led me to where I am today to create a new business with a new business model that helps these solve these problems better. And like I said in the beginning, like I've, I've been doing this for a while. And for the last two years, I tried to, tried to manipulate the marketing agency model on my own to make this work, right? At a cost that doctors can afford. And it's not possible with all, this, all the content demand. So I said, screw it. I'm going to go create a new business model. And I, I think this is a better solution. So yeah, I guess coming full circle on that, like my experiences in the past has been really rooted in the agency world and the limitations there and wanting to provide a better service for these clients in this industry. So what kind of things do you think doctors need to know about marketing today or SEO today that may have changed over the last two years that they might not be aware of? Yeah. So, uh, oh man, there's a lot. Just to be totally honest, so let me preface this by saying I started my career in SEO in this industry. So it's not that I don't believe and haven't seen the positive business impacts of doing good SEO. They're real, right? They exist. But you know, in this industry, SEO is probably not going to work for you. And I, and I know people are going to disagree with that, especially the agencies. But I, I think you have to look at the first principles of SEO. Number one, do you think you can confidently find an agency who can deliver results from an SEO standpoint? And number two, if you think you can, can you afford them? Remember, this, this all goes back to how much you're able to afford, right? It's, so, so there's SEO agencies out there that can do a ton of great work for you, but they're going to charge you $15,000, $20,000 a month because that's how much it takes. And actually, I should backtrack from there. So I, I always say that with SEO, you're either paying too much or you're paying too little. So if you're talking about local SEO, where it's really about citations, which are like business directories, you know, getting your information on different business platforms or vertical platforms, or collecting reviews, things like that, that's more local-based stuff. And that's kind of SEO tactics that help you get discovered in search when people are looking specifically for you. So there's no, that, that stuff's really inexpensive. Like for $500 a year, you can yeah. take care of all that. So if you're on a retainer for SEO and you're just getting that and you're paying, you know, $2,000, $1,500 a month for that, you're way overpaying. I like to draw the comparison that SEO is janitorial mm-hmm. and marketing is not SEO. SEO is a technical function. It's a set of technical updates that have to be maintained which is why I like calling it janitorial. Like do not place too much emphasis or faith in SEO today to get results because that's not what it is. It's just, it's just, it's basically a checklist of technical things that have to be done. I love that. That's a, that's a great metaphor right there. I love that. I'm going to use that. I'm sure I stole it from someone else already. Oh, it's all right. We're all stealing (laughs) stuff from everybody. Who cares? (laughs) Yeah, no, that's a great way to put it. 
Yeah. So what, well, you know, okay. So, so pivoting from the kind of paying too much on a retainer basis for that more kind of janitorial stuff to, you know, there is real SEO where it's more of like organic SEO where you're trying to rank higher and search for different keywords or queries. And most of that has to do with having a blog and, and creating articles that rank in search, et cetera. That can be pretty pricey, right? And, and that takes a specific type of skill set because that requires acquiring links, right? So that, like to do that part of SEO right is still expensive because it's more, and, and, and you hit it, like SEO today is more janitorial services where really if you want to increase your SEO, if you want to increase your rank, rankings across the board, you're better off just not doing SEO and just doing good marketing because right now, and, and this is my belief, just looking at the data that Good SEO is just, it's a byproduct today. It's not something you do in a silo. It's a byproduct of just doing good marketing. So the one thing I always refer to clients, or at least in the last six months is, listen, man, if you want to think about your SEO, hire a publicist, hire a a good PR agency. Because if you're talking about building links, right? Good SEO. Driving traffic. You're really talking about driving traffic. Yeah, yeah. You only want... You only want good links where humans are going to see your, who you are and learn about you. So yep. you could get a whole 100%. bunch of links that don't send humans to see you and that would be worthless too. Exactly. Which is which most practices are paying for right now if they're working with an agency. So that's why I say hire, hire a, a publicist, hire a PR agency. And, and not just in this industry, I think in mar- the marketing industry period, like PR is like so misunderstood. Like most people think of PR of it being like, oh, just media coverage, right? But it's really a, a big part of PR is about building communities online and offline. So I think you're talking about having an SEO do outreach to build links. They're not tactically proficient at outreach and managing and those relationships. A, a publicist is, a PR pro is good at that. And they have a Rolodeck of people within, you know, the, if, if you're working one, with one in the aesthetic or beauty industry, <laughs> they have a Rolodeck of people who you can get, you can get links from Vogue, you can get links from Elle and Allure and all those different websites. An in-house SEO agency isn't going to be able to do that for you, right? No. We have an in-house team of, I think we have three people who just mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. Full time, three people. Yeah. Yeah. All they do is work with media. Yeah. And what do you call those people? Do they call themselves SEOs or? No, they're, they're our PR team. They're yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So we're in agree- agreement there and I'm yeah. glad you guys are doing that. But yeah, hire, hire a publicist. And the one thing that you're going to get, like you hit on a great point where like you have most of these agencies, because again, it's really expensive to go build multiple relationships with publishers to get links. It's really expensive to do that. It takes time. An SEO agency in this industry isn't going to be able to do that and make money on it. But you really hit on a point about, you know, most SEO agencies are just getting you kind of those crappy links from websites for people who never going to become customers if they click on those lists. But the one thing, if you work with a publicist, not only do they have those relationships with those high domain authority platforms, but they're on, they're on websites where people who are visiting Elle and Allure and Vogue and all those different skincare type blogs, those are people who are actively looking for treatments that you offer, right? So that makes a lot more Yourself. sense. Yeah, real self, exactly. Um, and but the other thing you're going to get with PR that you're not going to get from those generic BS SEO links is credibility. If you can get ten links from those 
different publishers I mentioned and put those on your website featured in this, this, and that, that's credibility. And that's huge. That's marketing ammunition right there that you're never going to get from some arbitrary link from some random website. I think about this like junior high when your mom says, do you really want to be seen with those, those kids? (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. You, do you really want your website or your online presence or your reputation to be associated with things that look distrustworthy or not trustworthy? I right. To me, it seems very logical and obvious, but it, it isn't to everybody. And I think what I'm hearing from you is we have all these words and we have all these labels for all the things that you can buy from mm-hmm. an agency or to do marketing. And we don't even take one step further and say, what exactly do you mean by SEO? What exactly mm-hmm. do you mean by link building? And getting mm-hmm. deeper definitions for every one of these services that shows up in a proposal or a contract. Yeah, yeah, totally. It's mostly fluff. <laughs> yeah. In all and honesty. It's mostly designed to look big. Yeah. And, but be, be actually very quite small on the execution yeah. side. Well, here's, here's something I have to say about that too, coming from the agency world, coming from, you know, designing proposals and, and at one point in my career, not being confident in the services that the agency I was working for was offering. A red flag is when you get a proposal for, from an agency and it's just littered with buzzword after buzzword and it's like 15 pages long. It's got all, it, it, that shows insecurity on their behalf because if, if it's at the point where you've already you know, the practice has already engaged with a sales rep. They've already talked to them, had webinars with them. They feel good about them. And they're like, hey, okay, send me a proposal. And then the proposal comes through and it's just 30 pages of like deliverables. That means that that agency is so insecure about closing you permanently that they're just going to throw a deluge of different things that they think are going to really hook you at the end. So that's, to me, that's a red flag. Proposals like... You know, I've seen good proposals that can be long, but for the most part, if, if you can just offer a proposal over the phone and then send through email just a very short, that's all you should need if you have confidence in the service you're offering. If you don't, that's when things start to get really, really big and fluffy and all that crap. I'd add on that somewhere in that conversation, whether it's in writing or, or verbally, there's an acknowledgement that this space changes constantly. Mm -hmm. And the services that work are in flux all the time. So what worked a year ago might not be a good thing to have in a contract deliverable because maybe it doesn't work today. Maybe Google made a change. Like um, a big one I can think of is all of a sudden mobile first index. Mm -hmm. And the mobile first index is is the most important thing. And I believe I just saw an update that said mobile first was going to be 100% rolled out by sometime really soon. I apologize for not having the reference. That's all right. Yeah. But let's say you sit at your desk all the time and Google your own website from your desktop and you're number one, but then you do it on your phone and you're nowhere to be found. Well, that's a big problem because mobile first is where you need to be, not desktop. Right. So we've we've gotten very ranty. Let's let's try and... Yeah. um, Yeah. Let's go back to a positive place. And I, what Let's I really want to get to the bottom of is how you think and, and what your approach is to testing something and getting it to the point where you're ready to launch it and know confidently that it's going to work for a practice to, to actually grow. Yes. So 
Testing, there's there's definitely some things that are really important to me and I think important to everybody when testing and some that aren't. So first and foremost, I think for me, testing is all about being quick but not hurrying. Like you need to have a bias towards action when you're trying to test something. So for me, like one of the biggest problems I had, because I'm a perfectionist and I always want things to be like the best is like, man, I I spent way too much time trying to iterate on this test that I want to launch. And it's like, for what? The whole point of this is to put it out and test it, right? So you need to have a bias towards action when you're trying to test things and you need to be quick, but don't hurry. So there's that whole motto that I totally disagree with. And I think we have enough data to suggest that it doesn't work, but it's the move fast and break things like that. Silicon Valley made that such a big thing. And, and I think 10 years later, after hearing that, how many Silicon Valley businesses have not made a single dollar of profit in 10 years. So I don't believe in moving fast and breaking things because you can really break things and screw things up, but you should be quick, but not to hurry. And by the way, John Wooden's like one of my idols. So that's a be quick and don't hurry is a, a John Wooden quote. And with testing as well, one of the big things with testing is you have to understand if you're testing anything, you need volume. You need volume to test, which usually means budget and time. So I see a lot of people try to test things and it they're like, oh, it didn't work, but they didn't give it enough time or they just didn't give it enough resources or budget to get that volume. So when I talk about volume, like think about, think about like PPC, like if you want to do conversion rate optimization, right? Where, you know, for listeners that might not know that conversion rate optimization is just kind of post click. So if someone clicks on your ad, they get to your website, what kind of, what kinds of things are you doing on the landing page as far as like copy or imagery or, or more importantly, like what offer you're making? Those are the things you test to try to increase conversions. For conversion rate optimization to be a thing, you need volume. Like if you're getting if you're doing PPC ads and you're getting, you know, 10 visitors a month, like you just don't have the volume of the data to be able to test anything. So I think that's important for people to realize, like don't put together a test or don't expect to get results from a test or learn anything from it. If you don't have volume of traffic or if you don't have budget and you don't give it time, that one's important. Some of my most impactful tests from years and years ago have stuck with me to this day. One of which comes to mind was, I was testing the words that were appearing at the top of contact forms on websites. Mm -hmm. So, you know, everyone used to have a sidebar on their website. The sidebar has really fallen out of favor because of mobile. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It used to be that you could put a contact form on the sidebar and I tested two headlines, request more information and request a consultation. And it was like four times more people requested more information than requesting a consultation. It was a crazy love increase. it, love it. It was so big. Yeah. And it, so that's a that's a perfect example. Yeah. But then to your point, you also have to consider then what the user's expectation is when you change the word. Mm-hmm. So if you're requesting more information and the office calls and says, I hear you want a consultation. Right, right, right. <laughs> that doesn't <laughs> that doesn't set you up for a good conversation. So yeah, hundred percent. It's, it has to be full circle. You know, the, the words yeah. have to match the intent and they have to match the response. Right. Totally. Totally. I guess the last thing I would say about testing is, you know, like, like we get so caught up, like this whole industry of marketing and it's not just in aesthetics, it's, just, it's everywhere in marketing. We've become so obsessed with short-term ROI because it's trackable and, you know, we've fallen victim to like short-termism, Right. So everything, all these tests we want to do, we just want, we want data. Did it work? Did it work? What are the numbers? What are the ROI? Like what's going on here? 
which I get, it makes sense, right? But sometimes when you're testing something, the best quote unquote metric is just change, change in the right direction. Like say, you know, for clients I've had in the past where, you know, we were trying to build out, you know, a blog, for example, right? And we wanted to do a specific content editorial strategy around the blog. But when I, when I engaged with them to start, they didn't have a blog. They weren't writing any content, right? So it wouldn't make sense for me to launch this blog, do the content strategy, start publishing articles and asking myself in two weeks, you know, is it working? Like, what do the numbers look like? So in that case, I think we need to sometimes put the data down put the obsession with like ROI down and just keep in mind that sometimes just change in the right direction is all you need right now. So I'm big on that. And I would add that you just want to mark what day you made the change in your tracking somewhere. (laughs) I mean, the easiest place to track it is right in analytics using the annotation tool. Yep. Yep. But then, you know, I, I have, I I don't want to go back to a ranty place, but like you, (laughs) these are basic things. These are basic best practices that if you're going to make a big change, you need to notate it in the data so that a month from now or six months from now, you can say, what did we change where that traffic went way up or way down? Right. Right. Yeah. You need, you need the benchmark for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Actually speaking of benchmarks too, like, like don't ever, if you're ever testing anything, don't, don't compare yourself to like industry benchmarks, averages or other practices. Just compare yourself to yesterday, right? That that's the best way to do it because none of those averages and benchmarks industry wide they they don't mean anything for you right now. It's just like, hey, like like what are you going to do? Like look like oh, on the average the average email open rate is 60% in my industry, but mine's only 10%. Okay, big deal. So, what are you going to be what what strategy are you going to put together to make sure that that 10% increases to 12 and then gets to 14 and gets up there? Like the Focus on your own improvement, looking at yourself yesterday and, and getting better every day. I think that's really important too. I agree. I agree. Well, I've heard a lot of really good things from you. I love where you're going and what you're doing. And there's Thank a you. question that we ask everyone on this podcast, and you probably know what it is because I've been doing it for a while now, but um, <laughs> what, what do you think your unique superpower is? Everybody has one. Yeah. Oh man. So, you know, for me, like I'm incredibly self-aware. I'm, I'm, I'm incredibly honest with myself. I've had like, I've been riddled with anxiety disorder since I was, you know, in my early twenties, I've been battling OCD since I was like six years old. A lot of people would look at these as, you know, inhibitors or negative things. But for me, like I look at my OCD and my obsessiveness over everything. And also uh, I have a massive fear of mediocrity and that just comes from kind of internal insecurities over my entire life. But all those things together, even though they can be a tremendous source of anxiety at time, it it is absolutely my superpower because it it, it makes me intellectually curious. It makes me like driven and passionate. Like I just want to be better than I was yesterday. And as unhealthy as this can be at times for me to be, I'm so hard on myself, which like I said, could be hard, hard emotionally on myself and I need to get better at that. But to be able to have this mindset where like, today wasn't good enough. You need to get better tomorrow. 
Yeah, those are my superpowers. I think all my weakness, I think all the things that people would consider a weakness, to me, I look at as superpowers. Like, I don't feel like I'm suffering from anxiety, though I deal with it all the time. I don't feel like I'm suffering from OCD or any of that stuff. Like, I'm, I'm dealing with it, I'm managing with it, and I'm taking advantage of it. There's like, there's, there's some real superpowers to having those things. It lets me focus, it lets me really dive in, it lets me have vision and, and, and want to be better every day. You know, I, I don't think there's anything wrong with fearing mediocrity because it's a motivator. So, so yeah, I, I think, I think full circle here, I think my, my superpowers are just being self-aware of my weaknesses and then leveraging those weaknesses for good. I think that's why you're so uniquely suited to serve doctors the way that you do, because there's no way that you're going to do anything to hurt them or rip them off or, you know, do any of the things that we've talked about that have pained both of us so much over the years. Right. That's not an option. That's not an option. I, I, that keeps me up at night. It doesn't keep everybody up at night, but that does. That's actually, you know, for me, one of the big reasons why I positioned to patient nectar was because from the agency side and then doing the consulting and strategies for the last two years, like this last two years, I've been working, launching practices and I'm, I'm doing like three month engagements, which are, you know, Ten to fifteen thousand dollar engagements, but we're going like really deep. I'm, I'm building websites. We're doing the naming. We're doing all that. We're doing all the strategy, but it's taking a long time. So I'm not able to work with a lot of clients doing that every year. Able to make more per client, but not work with a ton. But this new business, Patient Nectar, is going to allow me to help a lot more people, and I am I am so stoked about that. Because and, and just kind of full circle about you saying like. And I appreciate what you said about like, you, you think that I can, you know, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole of being like the shady person that's going to do that because of the way I am. And with patient nectar now being able to take that mentality to help more people and be able to help more people with the skills I have. So I, I'm, I'm excited. I can't wait to see where it goes and I can't wait to help you with it. And me either. Thank you. <laughs> You've already Thanks, been so Drew. much helpful. <laughs> I hope so. We'll, uh, we'll check back in with you in six months or a year and see how it's going and what else you've okay, learned. Cool. I love it. I love it. Okay. Cool. All right. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Real Self University podcast. The mission of Real Self is to create a world where every investment in modern beauty is worth it. And Real Self University is here to help aesthetic professionals do just that. The mission of our podcast is to uncover stories and data from our industry's most interesting and successful personalities. If you'd like to be a guest on the Real Self University podcast, have feedback or questions, email university at realself.com. Support us and help us keep this effort going by subscribing to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about becoming Real Self Verified, go to realself.com slash network and enter referral code PODCAST to receive 50% off your first full month of Real Self Spotlights. I'm your host and producer, Eva Shea. Our post-production is by Daniel Cruiser. All of our learning and practice development resources are available on demand at university.realself.com.